XY Group invites all AEC industry leaders to the 2024 AEC Small Business and Entrepreneurship Forum, the premier event for small firms in the AEC sector. Experience innovative strategies and insights on May 21st, crafted by Zweig Group's industry experts. Engage in keynotes and interactive sessions focused on recruitment, retention, and business growth. Join Zweig Group for this unique networking opportunity and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit ZweigGroup.com for more information. The Zweig Group team looks forward to welcoming you. Welcome to the Zweig Letter Podcast, putting architectural, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting advice and guidance in your ear. Zweig Group's team of experts have spent more than three decades elevating the industry by helping AEP and environmental consulting firms thrive. And these podcasts deliver invaluable management, industry, client, marketing, and HR advice directly to you, free of charge. The Zweig Letter Podcasts, elevating the design industry one episode at a time. Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and I'm excited to, today because I'm here with Marcia Alvarado from the Alvarado Experience from TRC Worldwide Engineering. She is just an outstanding individual. I got connected with her through the Elevate Her program at Zweig Group. And for those of you that don't know about that, we'll talk about that a little bit later on, but She's here today just to kind of share her story and some of the things that she's been able to do. And I've done my research on her and I've just been blown away. And so without further ado, I wanted to welcome Marcia Alvarado to the Zweig Letter Podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you so much. That was a great intro, man. <laughs> so, I don't know how to, I feel like I have to walk up on this stage. Oh yeah. Great, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, we should... the stage right here, you know, <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, I'm, I'm doing amazing. Um, I'm, I'm very blessed, honestly. Uh, I'm in a position to be uh, doing very well and uh, family's doing good. And, you know, um, being a part of getting connected with Zweig Group, uh, you know, in the last year, it was a random, you know, introduction through LinkedIn with Jamie Claire. And wow, like a lot has happened in the last year from, uh, from the Elevate Her cohort that got created to me being involved as an advisor, I, I've got to know a lot of great, interesting people um, through this connection. So I'm including yourself, Brandy. So I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you today about no, uh, what the Alvarado experience is really all about. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I, I, so why don't you give our audience, just for those that don't know who you are, and we'll include all of this information. I want to make sure you guys really get to check out Marcia and everything that she is doing. Again, I, I don't know how you have time to sleep, but mm -hmm. I, I'll make sure that we put all that in the show notes. But what one of the things that I like to do on this podcast is I want to get your superhero origin story. How did you get to where you are today? And really, what is what is driving you? Uh, and, and that your your big why, the thing that gets you out of bed each morning to do the amazing things that you're doing? Um, you know, I think the big why has been um, people, uh, human, the human race. Uh, people are spectacular creatures and there's a lot of opportunity to learn from people. There's a lot of opportunity to love people. There's a lot of opportunity to just help others. Um, I think I'm, um, I'm a, you know, a product of service. Uh, I think I get it from my mom. Um, I'm here to serve in some capacity. Um, maybe not in the traditional sense that some, you know, people in different um, backgrounds or cultures, but, you know, whatever way that I can help, um, I have been, you know, trying to serve. So uh, for the most part, I think that, um, you know, I, you know, I was, I was born in Louisiana and I was born in a military household. Uh, we moved around everywhere. And, you know, grew up in Europe and don't remember any of it. It kind of sucks, honestly. But <laughs> as a young child, I had a British nanny uh, and I used to apparently speak with a British accent. 
which I really <laughs> really miss right now. Um, probably the only Guatemalan with big curly hair, dark skin in Britain, speaking with a British accent, but you know. Um, but yeah, like I think just my adaptability of being, of growing up in a military household really shaped who I am. Um, and so, you know, I've always worked really hard. Uh, that was something that was just kind of at an expectation level that was set very early on. And there was a lot of trust in, in our household, you know, the trust from a parent to a child and child to a parent. And so, um, it really kind of did shape me to be the person I am now. And uh, my mom is, a, a you know, just somebody who gives and serves. And I just naturally gravitated to that. And um, as a young child, I was standing on the London Bridge and I told my mom I was going to build buildings one day. Like that was like, mm. it was like a light bulb. It went off and I haven't been on that. I haven't been off that track since. Uh, played with Legos, did the Lego bit. I still have them to this day. My nieces and nephews are now playing with them. Uh, I've kept them for over 30 years. <laughs> uh, nostalgia, just, I mean, it's great. And um, yeah, like I, I wanted to build buildings and that was just, it was a one track mind. You know, I was, as a young child, I was very goal oriented, kind of goal posting almost in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to a fault. And I just continued to strive to become an engineer and realize what, where I could fit in. Um, was lucky enough to pick up a basketball at eight years old and was kind of good at it. So I ended up playing basketball and it got me a full scholarship to pay for engineering school. So juggling basketball and engineering really helped me to just, first of all, be hyper-focused in every amount of energy that you have um, because time is valuable. And so um, in college, I didn't party. I didn't do any, like, I mean, engineering students don't generally do it. (laughs) Right. Last time. We're also playing a collegiate athlete when you're playing a collegiate sport, there's a lot of man hours and blood, sweat and tears that go into that. That is physically and mentally exhausting outside of engineering. So um, as challenging as that was, I got through it (laughs) and I graduated and uh, yeah, I just, that a lot of those things in the way that I grew up really shaped me to be the type of person I am. And I think your environment plays a big factor. And now, you know, the last few years transitioning into almost a new world, uh, whether, you know, fashion, marketing, um, modeling, like it's just opened up a different avenue to share. Um, and I didn't realize how much of an impact my story had and the way I moved about the world, the way I looked at the world, the way I viewed the world and the way I make decisions. And now it's just come to pass where there's this form of visual activism now that is really playing a big factor in our lives. And I'm, all I'm really doing is doing this, is sharing my experiences, because I truly believe each individual has different experiences. And if you're willing to listen and learn, you can, you know, arrive at different ways of moving about the world. And I think that if people look at it in that sense versus um, a cultural sense or, uh, you know, categorization sense or, you know, you're this, you're coming from this city, you have this background, you have, you know, this color of skin, this is your sexual orientation. Like if you're looking at it from that perspective, you're getting it all wrong in my belief. So, um, so that's how I've been able to look at things. And I try to share that knowledge so that other people can kind of look at it in a different perspective and hopefully make better judgments and, and be a lot more inclusive in the way that they, they move about the world. Yeah. You know, and uh, man, I mean, you said, I, I want to try to unpack all of this, but I don't know if we have. I know. Like, we, we will have to have. <laughs> it runs, it runs very fast. Yeah. No, so no, no. We'll break mean, it down. <laughs> it's, it's good, though. It's really good. And and I, I, I got to ask the question because, and I guess this is where I will start. And I guess we will focus on the engineering piece of it first. But, mm-hmm. you know, this is a very white male dominated industry. Um, when you got involved or decided that you wanted to go into engineering and Mm -hmm. when you look at your, um, focus and the things Mm -hmm. that are important to you, how did that, did, did you have any idea what you were getting into? Number one. And number Mm -hmm. two, how has your, um, cause you've been in this industry now for what, almost Uh, 15 years, 15 years. So you, you're almost a lifer, right? I mean, you're almost right there with me. I've been around for two decades and I feel like I've been involved with this industry and seen so many permutations of it, but how, Mm -hmm. how did you, uh, reconcile your views on things with the way that this industry is set up, which is pretty straight lace, 
pretty, right. you know, it's, it is what it is. And this is the way it's always been. And, you know, this is right. how my daddy's engineering firm was. This is how my mom's architectural firm was and nothing has ever changed. How have you reconciled that? And, and what do you think you've been able to bring to the table to elicit the type of change that you hope to see within this industry? So I think that um, there's kind of two, two segments to, I think, my career. There's the segment of my career before I turned 30 and the segment after. It's kind of a very strong line of demarcation because what I started to get involved in outside of engineering. Sure. Um, and that's modeling. Like random, I wear menswear and I thought, man, there's so many guys I think I look really good and what I'm wearing, I can, maybe I'll go down this road. And that really opened the door to a lot of other things that are, that is my surroundings. Yeah. Um, as a young child, it was very much of a focus of me. What do I need to do to get to where I want to be? Period. I don't care what anybody else is doing. I don't care what society tells I can or cannot do. I don't care if I'm a female or if I'm this or that. Like, I kind of went in blind. Like, I kind of just, I think it was just a focus of playing basketball and doing well in school. That was it. You know, like, just, I became very goal posted in that way. And so when I went into college, my freshman year, I'll never forget, this was kind of a light of a fire of the first time someone told me that I couldn't do something. And it was majoring in engineering at, um, and starting playing basketball at the University of Louisville. And they said, you're in speed scientific school here. And I was like, yeah, they're like, but you're playing basketball. And I'm like, yeah, like, well, you can't do both. And I was like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, I have a scholarship, like I'm in school. Like, you know, if you got a free school and you're the first person in your family to go to college, wouldn't you pick a really good degree that like costs a lot of money and you can get, take advantage of the situation. Right. So I went to engineering school, but everybody in the, like within the, the athletic, not department, like not like staff, but like students were like, how are you going to do this? Cause this, this is not something, I mean, engineering students go to this particular program and drop out because it's too hard just doing engineering, no job, no nothing else. So having like almost a part-time job of playing basketball for the college is like, that's a whole nother, you know, and so that was my first ch uh, like glimpse of like the you can't do this, and I kind of was just like, well, I'm going to do it. And I struggled the first two years. I'm not going to lie. I was not the most gifted student. I don't have a photographic memory. I would study with my counterparts and and not get the same grades. Like it was a struggle till I got to a point where I started studying about structural engineering, and it started to become more natural um, to me. So going into my career, I left college. I finished and I moved to New York city. I went there to visit and I fell in love with the city. I fell in love with the buildings. I just wanted to be in that environment and I fit in really well, like mini New Yorker, right? I was only there for four or five years, but I, I started walking just as fast as everybody else, you know, like you just kind of stop gawking and looking. Um, and so I don't know, like I got into, I got a job and I was working in an environment. There was females in the environment. There was some diversity in New York city. So I didn't feel as pressured to feel like I had to prove myself in that environment versus maybe if I got a job here in Florida or in another you know, town. So I started my career in a very culturally diverse area and it felt very comfortable because of the military background. Right. Growing up, you go to military bases, there's all different cultures represented, Asian, black, white. There wasn't necessarily this idea that, you know, I grew up in a small town and the first you know, African-American I've ever seen was in college, you know, like I went to school in Kentucky and I, I heard people's stories about that, but I didn't feel that. So when I, my transition wasn't as hyper-focused on, oh, this is an industry I'm not supposed to be in, or this is not. So I just went into the industry and I just knew that I'm a hard worker. Like that's my, that's what you're going to get. I may not be the smartest. I may not be the fastest, but I'm going to work really hard and I'll do whatever it takes. And usually when you say that, People don't believe it, but when you show it to them, then they, they will give you those opportunities. And I moved through my 20s just pushing and pushing and pushing, studying, take the PE, you know, take the EI, take the PE, become an engineer. Um, and then I passed at 28 and I'm like, oh, I'm a professional engineer now. <laughs> um, this time in my career, I'm back in Florida. Um, everybody dresses a little bit more relaxed. That's probably the biggest difference that I noticed. Um, <laughs> but then... Um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of just feel like this is it. Like, so I ran out of goals really is what happened. I was like thinking like, okay, like I did everything I was set to do. And I just, I didn't have this concept of my surroundings. 
I wasn't involved in the LGBTQ community. I wasn't an advocate. I wasn't, you know, um, doing a lot of extracurricular activities because it just honestly wasn't time, right? Getting a master's, studying for the PE, building yourself, you know, so I became very hyper-focused and that's how I got through it until I started branching out and then realizing when I started getting into modeling, I started realizing, you know, androgynous models, you know, you know, changing the idea of gender and fashion. Next thing you know, there's like a social justice movement happening. Next thing you know, I'm getting involved a lot more on the political side of ideas. And, and that's when things started really coming in of like about the industry, about how like, oh, it's really bad. Like we need to work on this. Like this is some things we need to. And I started realizing now going into, you know, the second half of, you know, in the thirties that like, okay, where can I help? right? Where, what are the opportunities? You know, so people have asked me like, what have you done to succeed? I'm like, I just didn't pay attention (laughs) to anything else that was going on. I just only focused on what I needed to do to be successful. And one of the things I learned very early in New York city was that people um, respond to your presence um, and how you present yourself. When I was working in New York city, I had a second job because you don't have just one job in New York city. You have two or three. I got a second job selling suits at Banana Republic at Fifth Avenue. And I started selling suits to customer service, you know? So what I knew when I started to realize people in New York, like you can look a certain way and you can can gain confidence and gain respect by your presentation only, whether you know what you're talking about or not. Right. So I learned very early 21, 22, that presence and how you present yourself carries a lot of weight, can get you far, um, can get you in the door. Right. Um, people in my engineering company saw me and was thinking that I already had three or four years of experience when I was just fresh out of college. So I learned very early that presentation was a big part of how you can move about and gain some respect. You have to earn respect, but usually when you, you know, just that presence. And so I was very, and then having that military background, right? Like just being clean cut and making sure, you know, you present yourself in a very professional way was something that was kind of ingrained in me. I didn't really rebel against it in any capacity when I was growing up. So it just became my nature to, and then I, I learned, I, I understood how people were able to respond to that and you can have presence with that. And then how you speak to them and how you communicate to them can be just as effective, but how you present yourself is like half the deal. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of how I realized that now I was able to get very far, but I just, like I said, I had blinders on and then I opened the door to the fashion world and then it kind of brought me back around into what, what the industry that I'm in and realizing, Oh, we, we definitely, um, you know, uh, so I, I try to give back and I tell the stories from back then thinking I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew I needed to get a job. So I went on AOL.com and I wanted to live in New York City. And I looked up every engineering company that had structural engineering in the services, like Box. And they weren't hiring. They weren't looking. But I printed out 200 resumes and I folded them and I sent them in the mail. And, <laughs> and I put, you know, and I got five interviews. And then I flew up to New York before I graduated college and stayed in a hostel, paid the guy $20 dressed up in a suit and a tie, walked out to my interview to go get an engineering job. And so the first company that gave me an offer, and that's how I got a job in New York. Wow. And everybody's like, why are you going to New York? It's so expensive. And so I'm like, but it's New York city. Like, why wouldn't you, you know, yeah. that was my mentality. But that level of hustle is something that no one taught me. No one, you just have to, I just did it, you know? And now I, ta- I tell those stories now of, I'm like, wow, like I was nuts. Like I was kind of crazy then. Like I, no one would do that now, right? You know, maybe they send a resume to one job or two jobs of an available, of a company that's looking. I didn't even care if they were looking or not. I was like, hey, I just want an opportunity, you know? So. You gave yourself 200 opportunities to get a job, basically. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I was love after, that story. This was after 9-11. So um, my mom was not really happy. She was like, <laughs> why are you going to go to New York? And I'm like, it's the safest place right now, honestly. Right. So. <laughs> It, Ground Zero was still being worked on. Um, none of the construction of the memorials were even thought of at that point. Right. Um, but I did have an interview in the World Financial Center that was still standing behind Ground Zero. I remember that. And I thought that was a little, I was like, oh, this may be a little too close for comfort. Uh, right. And I got a job uptown near um, Union Square, 
yeah. um, which was pretty awesome. And I worked there for about three and a half years. Yeah, no. And that whole area has changed. I mean, I grew up in, in uh, Teaneck, New Jersey, so I'm quite familiar. I used to spend, uh, I spent a lot of, um, a lot of field trips in the World Trade Center, and it was very, mm -hmm. uh, very a place that was near and dear to my heart. But you know, as I go there now, and I go to, um, I lost a friend in 9/11, and as I go to the memorial every time I'm in the city, mm -hmm. um, I've done some work with the Port Authority, so I always go down into that. Um, I forget what that thing is called below the the new transportation hub. Yeah, but it's it's absolutely f phenomenal. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's still. I actually do go there every yeah. time I'm in New York now, whether I have time to do anything or not. I just have to. I don't know. There's just some level of connection there, you know. So nope, I I totally get it. I totally get yeah. it. So yeah, no that that is uh, that's something. So you 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 kind of started to cut your teeth in engineering in um, in New York City and New York City and in, in Florida are like vastly different when it comes to engineering. Yeah. Um, what was that like when, again, with that transition down to Florida, um, first of all, what propelled you to say, you know what, okay, I've done this stint. I'm mm -hmm. going to move down to Florida and try something different down there. What really uh, instigated that for you? Uh, or were you trying to just, were you just ready to try something new? Um, I came back a little prematurely um, due to family reasons. Um, but when I was in New York, um, I was kind of this, had this pace of like, if I'm not going 90 miles an hour, I'm bored because of the juggling between basketball and engineering. So moving to New York just became like a natural, like I worked maybe 40, 50, 60 hours a week um, to the point where when I wasn't working 60 hours a week, getting paid for that straight time, I was like, why is my check so low? Like what's going on, right? Like I was like, I need those extra overtime hours. Right, right. <laughs> but I, I worked in a department um, with about maybe 15 structural engineers and there was three engineers that did a lot of the restoration work in the company. So it was going into old buildings. So I used to fix up and work with the team fixing up buildings from the early 1900s, 1920s, historic buildings, um, repurposing a lot of the schools. That was one of the, my big projects um, when Mayor... Um, Bloomberg? Yeah. It was like a big capital improvement um, projects. And so we would go into these high schools and repurpose them. And, you know, structurally, it was just more of like, okay, can we cut through here? Can we put an opening here? And just really trying to um, refurbish and bring the buildings back, you know, up to a better level. That's more user friendly for today's schooling and not a hundred years ago, you know, yeah. 150 years ago. So I did a lot of renovation work. I did a lot of work out in the field. I got to talk to iron workers that, you know, that were, you know, um, just, you know, New York laborers, really. So I spent a lot of time in the field early on in my career. And that really helped me to understand engineering 101. But then like, we have to make it constructible. Like, like, this is not going to work because I can't get the bolts in here and I can't weld in here, you know? So I started at a very early um, in my career, learning how to build things from a construction point of view and not just, you know, this is the design, this works, here's the calcs, done. Yeah. Right. So always being in the field, literally sketching, like trying to go out to find out what's behind the wall. Cause half of the times we didn't have any drawings. So it was always this investigation type of work. Um, so I did that in New York city for three and a half years. And then I came back to Florida to be closer to my family. Um, um, just for my mom's health reasons. And then I, I did, I had a, I had a little bit of a culture shock coming back because it was like in New York, I was like moving, moving, moving. And then I came to Florida. It was like. <laughs> you move in slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, can we like build this two story building? And like, you know, like we have yeah. all the land you can lay down. And in New York, it's like, there's no lay down yards. There's no, the like, scheduling is down to the day of when we're going to hoist this beam up. And it's just, it's just a whole another level of process. And I had to kind of like not wear a tie every day. Like, cause people were thinking I was going to an interview on my first day of work. And I'm like, no, like in New York, all the guys in the office, they wore ties, yeah. including the office manager, including the janitor, like everybody had a tie on. And if they didn't like wearing ties, they wore this in the subway. They open their drawer when they get to the office, they, they pull out their clip on. on, they put their clip on and they do their work. And then when they're at the end of the day, they take their clip on off and they put it in there in their drawer, close the door and go home. Like <laughs> that was the mentality, you know? Um, so I had to kind of definitely adjust and I had to kind of slow down. And I even had people tell me that I had an accent. They're like, Oh, you're from New York. Like, you, I can tell you have an accent. I'm like, really? But that's probably worn off now that I've been in Florida for the last 10 years. Um, 
So, um, yeah, I think it was a big change for me. I had to kind of like, and then getting another restoration job in Florida was not the same. It was like, oh, you're going to go to this residence and look at their shingles because of Hurricane Katrina, uh, Hurricane Ivan or something. And I'm like, how much engineering am I actually doing counting shingle tiles? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when I came back the first year, it was a little rough. And then I got into a job where I was doing new design work. And so, um, so that was really good. You know, I want to back up just a quick second because you mentioned something that I think uh, I don't want it to be lost on lost on any of the listeners of this podcast. You talked about the importance of working out in the field and how that helped to inform how you not only interacted with clients, but it, it informed your design. It informed everything that you did. And I know that we're still in a place where a lot of times younger people are not given that opportunity to get out into the field early and often. What would be your advice to design firm leaders that's kind of still struggle in that area of letting some of their younger people get out into the field, meet with clients, things of that nature. Because clearly, whoever was working with you and leading you early on in your career pretty much gave you free reign to do a lot of things that some of your peers, especially in the structural engineering space, they don't get that. um, They don't get that flexibility or opportunity. What would your advice be to you know, those senior project managers, project managers, those that t- sometimes struggle with giving other people an opportunity to get out in front of the client, to get out and do um, site inspections, things of that nature, um, because well, it, it obviously affected you in a great way. Yeah, I think you know any behavior has to be learned, yeah. right? You're not just going to read it out of a textbook. If you're not doing foundation calculations, then you're not going to learn how to do foundation calculations. But if you're not going to get the opportunity to even visibly watch somebody navigate in a space within a design meeting um, or on the field with a, with a site inspector or with the contractor, then they're never going to know how to do that. I think that for, as a, as a, as a leader in design now and talking to other principals, the more that you can train your engineers to be actual human beings and to generate real relationships with people to really be able to say, look somebody in the eye and tell them what the situation is. Or so it's more about practicing, like mentoring young people to become good relationship builders because engineering is always going to be there. They're always going to have those opportunities to learn in the, in the, um, you know, on design projects and, and, and doing calculations and, and making mistakes and, and fixing those mistakes. But if you don't practice building like a manager, right? Like, you always want your peer. I believe that my definition of success is all the people around me, right? Like all the people around me, if they're doing well, that means I'm doing well. So until the young people see um, yourself as a leader in communication, in you know the life skills of being able to look someone in the eye, to be able to present themselves, to present an engineering solution to a non-engineer. Yeah. It's part of the reason why I mentored with ACE Mentoring for 13 years, teaching high school kids how to be like good professionals. The technical part will always come and you're always going to be learning. Guess what? The building codes change every year, every other year. So that learning aspect will never go away. You're not going to ever be, oh, I know everything about structural engineering. No, I'm still learning today. But what we don't get practice on is learning how to communicate a very complex engineering solution to a non-engineer, like an architect or a developer or a client who has the money. Like if you can't communicate to them in that way, then I feel like, you know, there's going to be a lot of disconnect. And then by the time you become a professional engineer and you get those opportunities to present to a client or present your idea, now you're talking, you know, you're talking apples and oranges here because you haven't had that practice or you haven't visibly seen somebody do it in an effective way. Yeah. So I think for, for for a final recommend, it's like you give the people the opportunities to either see it or be a part of the a part of that action because, um, and and I think that it's a learned behavior. It takes practice. I've seen ACE mentor students from freshman to senior be completely different individuals. Why? Because they had a chance to present their ideas. They a lot of times in our sessions are like, all right, this is a great idea, but I want you to present it to me. Like, tell me about it. Like, explain it to me. You know, they have all these ideas in their head. Kids are really smart, and you can see their brain working and processing. But until you're able to present it to me. Who's going to know about it? Right. right. So I think some of the great leaders in any industry have always been able to do that. 
And that's what I usually teach in ACE mentoring. I don't really consider anybody wanting to become a structural engineer. Most of them are like, yeah, we heard your engineering lesson and I'm going to be an architect. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like I can't really sway a lot of them. You know, there's like one out of every 20 or 40 kids, maybe um, they'll become a, you know, so I think that I usually teach and I usually make sure the students see me as a leader and as a relationship builder and let them see the relationships that I have with other mentors and how we interact. That, in my opinion, is going to make them 10 times more successful than being a really smart engineer. Yeah. No, I love that. Yeah, I love that. That speaks volumes. And I think that's good sound advice. It's something that I've said for years, but I think coming from you, a licensed engineer, I think it it, it would mean the world as, as other people are hearing this and are saying, yeah, you know, I've got to do better at getting some of my younger people out and exposing them to uh, to the client, exposing them to the field and what that looks like and, and just understanding everything that we do. I just think you can bring um, design professionals along much faster. I think, I think people want to work really hard for a leader that works hard. So the thing is, is like, you know, you look at the tech industry and you look at like Apple, for an example, or Google, these people want to work really hard for yeah. an idea. But if there's not a leader that presents any ideas or any, you know, like, I struggled with having my own mentor in structural engineering for the last 15 years. I have struggled and it's hurt me professionally from a technical side, but I know that my relationships hasn't suffered. You know, some people are like, Oh, you're a really good project manager versus maybe, you know, you've never done a design like this. It doesn't mean I can't do it. Just don't have that experience to showcase it. But I know that if you put me on a project, I'm going to do whatever I can to, to communicate with you effectively. And, um, to respond to you and, and to, to get you to want to work with me really hard, just as hard as I am. You know, I don't see the architect. I don't actually see the architect and the engineer on different teams. The architect is a point guard. The shooting guard is the structural engineer. That's me because mm-hmm. I shoot the threes. And then, um, then you got your post players, like your MEP guys, like, right. okay, maybe you give them a ball every now and again. In a <laughs> so I always relate basketball yeah, <laughs> to no, like the design that. team, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, and the coach is, is the coach, you know, someone who has the money, you know, I don't know, whatever, (laughs) the the, the, the owner, right. (laughs) So we're all trying to get to the same place, but like, you know, everybody has their role and, but we're all, we're all trying to do it together. And and I've built so many amazing relationships with architects over the years that people are like, will ask for me, like within the company, like, can we, can we work with her? Cause this guy just doesn't seem to call me back. Like, you know, like, and it's, it's the little things, <laughs> but you know what though, those, those little things make all the difference. It moves the needle so much. And I try to tell um, engineers about that. Like, it's so easy to move the needle in this industry. All you have to do is respond and, and, sh- and show some willingness, you know? And I think a lot of that comes inside of me because of passion. I love what I do. I love building buildings. I love to see the, the fruits of my labor physically standing there. Probably why I didn't become a civil engineer because everything's yeah. covered up like dirt. But are <laughs> uh, mean to you. Uh, um, you know, like some people love piping and they just, that's their excitement that it gets them up. So. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, so you, you came back from New York city, you got to Florida. Um, you've been there for 10 years now and, and then you started to move kind of in a different direction, not so much that you stopped doing the engineering that you were doing, but there were other things that were pulling at you, other mm-hmm. interests that pulled at you at the same time. And it sounds like you wet your, wet your, um, your appetite for, for modeling and just for fashion in general at, at Banana Republic. But I got to believe that you probably had a sense of fashion even before that. Um, Ooh, maybe, maybe not. not it's a good thing. There's not a lot of photos of me in the nineties. <laughs> I'm kind of a thug. Oh my goodness. Well, New York City does something to you though, right? Because you do step up your game. When you when you are in the yeah. city, you have to step up your game because the clothing game, it's just like it's it's just essential. You have to have your stuff together because if you don't, then And that's where I think I fit in. That's where I kind of came into my own and I kind of like I was like, all right, I think I can do this. Um, I don't know. Fashion was not an interest. That was, that was never an interest for me. I'd never even been in front of the camera before until I made this decision. And the only reason why I made this decision, um, I learned at Banana Republic about style. I learned about how to put things together. 
you know, what looks good together. Um, and I learned to be very thrifty in New York. Mm -hmm. So that was my style, you know, not spending a lot of money, but looking really good. Like I did spend a lot of money. So that was always my, you know, dressing up style or whatever. Um, and so when I came back from New York to Florida, you know, I just continued on that path and it was only doing it for me. I wasn't doing it for anybody else. And I got to a point where I was like, I don't know, like so many gentlemen would come to me and give me, you know, like ask me for advice, like, oh, what should I, you know, you're always dressed really good or whatever. And I just realized that it was a, it was a, it was a gift that I had, you know, just put together and really like was doing well at it and people noticed. So I was like, well, shoot, I went into modeling to become a male model. That was it. Like maybe get some free clothes out of the deal, maybe make some extra money. Like that was the only intent at the very beginning. Yeah. I got in front of the camera for the first time ever. It was a, a photo shoot in a studio. So studio is like, there's nothing else going on, nothing else to help you. Like it's just you and the photographer mm-hmm. Four hours. That was a mistake. Uh, it was way too long. And I did a photo shoot for the first time and I left the photo shoot thinking, wow, like that was horrible. Like, what was I thinking? Like, why did he decide to do this? Like it was so vulnerable it was so like just stripping, like whether I had clothes on or not, like it was just like, there's nothing but you in the camera. The, the photographer was a really amazing guy and he walked me through it, but he was like, he was a little blunt because he, um, he was from France mm-hmm. and he was a local um, wedding photographer. And he was like, okay, this is not working. Let's try something else. And I'm just like, oh no, like, is it really bad? Like what's going on? <laughs> but it was just the natural thing. Like, oh, this is not working. Like, let's just, let's try it this way. Let's try it. And so I left after four hours thinking to myself, like, oh my goodness, why? Why would I put myself through this, right? But I had this flame inside of me that was like, no, like if I can master the art of um, emoting emotion on command, that is going to be powerful in life. Right. I, I literally, like all the ideas about my goals about becoming a model and why went out the window. After that first day, I was like, if I can figure out how to do this really well, I'm going to be able to control my, my internal emotions about everything, you know, how I react and how I move about the world, how something happens to me. Like I can, I can kind of control it instead of like, you know, um, just breaking down or having all these very knee jerk reactions. Right. Yeah. That's where my mind went. And then modeling became completely different for me after that. I, I wanted to be really good at it because I wanted to build myself from an internal perspective. It wasn't about the money anymore. It wasn't about being a, a high, you know, America's next top model. Like that all went out the window. And then I started understanding the industry, how the industry broken out between women and men, how women get paid much more than guys, mm-hmm. which is probably one of the industry, um, how it was very, um, a lack of diversity on the female side versus more diversity on the men's side. Like it was just like the complete opposite of engineering. And then when you get in, when you expose yourself to something like that, and then you come back and you're like, wait a minute, I don't have that on this side. Like, like what's going on. Right. Like, so that's when the, the wheels really start opening up to, I was like, what have I done? Like, <laughs> how did I go from one port to the other? And that's when my mind started being, then I started getting more involved in the community. I started talking to more people and then people just started asking me like, wait a minute, these modeling pictures are amazing, like, but you're an engineer. And I'm like, yeah. And then it became a story. And then I was like, Oh no, I got to tell this story. So right. I don't know. Like that's how it, that's how it actually happened. And now as a form of visual activism, it's become a huge part in the way we identify and talk about life and how we feel on the inside and how we express ourselves on the outside. And I've been very blessed to be able to be comfortable in my own skin and be able to express myself exactly how I want to. And there's so many young people that are not able to, whether they're gay, straight, black, white, whatever. And so one of my biggest missions is to just talk to our youth from a safety perspective, to keep them safe, to keep them comfortable to know that you have, it doesn't matter what obstacles you've had or you're going to have. It's about what you do in this world and how you can kind of like um, how you can react to it because you have control over that. Yeah, absolutely. That, I mean, that's so, so out of, out of that whole experience, I mean, came um, the, the Alvarado experience, I guess, Mm because it's been about six years now, right? You started that in 2014. 
Um, well, there was a website that I had for modeling and it just ended up being called the Alvarado Experiences. So it was more of a modeling website that I created. But what happened was when I started modeling, to, I, I even went to New York on vacation and I went to about 30 agencies, 40 mm-hmm. agencies. I walked in, I snuck into Wilhelmina one day. That was fun. I mean, I went in trying, thinking, okay, I'm going to try to do this and see what happens. And the scariest part is if you actually become successful, right? Like right. someone actually says yes. And you're like, oh crap, do I give up engineering? Like, what do I do? Like, how do I, how do I go to an audition in New York when I have a job here in Florida? Like I tried it. Um, I was a little short and, you know, I was definitely had a very unique look, so it wasn't very commercial. Right. Yeah. Um, it was a little bit more editorial. Um, but I, I went to it thinking, um, I talked to a lot of models. I talked to a lot of people in the industry and then I was like, you know what? I think so many people are reaching out to me about what I'm doing and about being visible, especially as a masculine presenting female that I was like, I have to like package this somehow. I have to have create a platform for them. And that's when I actually dedicated time to build the Alvarado experience as more like a fashion and lifestyle blog ways for me to like share my story with photography, you know, and be able to help people. And that's um, where it grew into. Yeah, no. And it's, it's, you know, as I was looking through some of the, the, your website and and also the, the program that you did down in Tampa and, you know, some of the fashion advice that you were throwing out there. And I was thinking, man, I, I kind of miss getting dressed up. Right. Cause I mean, most, most of the time, you know, we, we may have a presentable shirt on, uh, up top, but if you're not going out to see clients, like, like, like we used to, you know, you may have pajamas on down below. So, I mean, you know, that yeah. situation is, is, is totally it's different. different now. The pandemic it, has changed things for sure. Even it from, has. you know, it is a little bit more challenging now. I haven't worn a suit in six months. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. And that's something I think we'll have to get used to. I, I, I think at some point in time we will get back to that. But yeah. that's that's after we, you know, we get back to some normalcy, which I think everybody is is craving for at this moment. Uh it's just mm-hmm. to have a little bit more normalcy. So so with the whole model experience and, and then the program that you did, um so at what point did you say, you know, I, I'm, I'm also in this, I'm going to be an activist. I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, make sure that, you know, not only my voice is being heard, but other voices that have, that have either historically been marginalized or just haven't had a platform. What, what caused you to propel you to say, I want to do that? So I spent about eight months. Uh, I hired a brand marketing firm to help me with the Alvarado experience to really create it as like a brand. And I was very purposeful in the way that I wanted to create it. It was a blog. Let's just be frank. It was just a fashion blog with some lifestyle um, and architecture. So the two things, what I did is I took the two things that I was passionate about and I made it into a niche, architecture and fashion. And my idea was everybody talks about clothing um, and fashion, but then when they're taking photography, they're always going to these really cool places or they're looking for these lines or they're looking for something specific, but nobody really talks about the background, like buildings. So one of the, my great, one of my favorite blogs that I did was an air traffic control tower uh, in Lakeland. And I was the engineer of record on this new 13 story air traffic control tower for the, for Air Lake and the airport. And it's the, it's, it's a, the second largest sun and fun in the country. They have, they, people come from all over to see, to go to this airport for the shows, for the air shows. And the cool thing was, is that, you know, because my family um, was in the air force, I just, I, I grew up going to air shows on military bases all the time. So there was this like connection with the, with building an air traffic control tower. Um, I've done four or five for the, you know, army Corps of engineers and other parts of the country, but this one was like right in my backyard. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, only in less than 25 minutes away from my house. And then I got an opportunity to pull fashion in because there was these jackets, the alpha jackets that are inspired by the Air Force um, flight jackets. And they're now fashionable, like people wear them, bombers, people are wearing them. So I got a jacket from the actual brand, Alpha Industries. They sent it to me and said, hey, post a blog, uh, create a blog about it, send us some photos. And that's kind of like the influencer world, right? Like they're using us to sell the product. So what I did is I did it in my own way. I took the flight jacket. I picked up the phone. I called the airport director. I was like, Hey, I want to do a photo shoot. And I'm kind of, and he was aware of my modeling background Mm -hmm. and he allowed me to to go on site and and shoot some photos. And so the blog is more about mixing, you know, where fashion architecture really come together and, um, and talking about both. Right. 
Um, and so I spent eight months building this site. And then I went to New York Fashion Week. Uh, this was probably three years ago, so to 2017. And I was walking in this, um, uh, the show that I had been walking in for Dapper Q, um, a kind of a, a community of, you know, of a queer gender, um, non-conforming fashion uh, designers. Mm-hmm. And um, it's in the Brooklyn Museum, <clears throat> typically. And uh, I went there and I met up with the, um, the founder of Sharp Suiting. And I became friends with him because I had modeled for him years prior and we knew each other, but he was based in LA and I lived in Florida. And so we had a conversation after the show. Um, and we talked about, you know, his suiting brand was very much aligned with my style. Mm-hmm. And he talked about possibly expanding the brand outside of just the LA market. And so we talked and talked and maybe a few whiskeys in where I'm like, I think I can do this in Florida. So the next thing we know, I'm, I'm trying to replicate uh, a suiting, you know, company in Florida market and doing custom suiting, which is what their, their, their niche was. And it was making custom suiting for the inspired by the LGBT community, creating a safe space to have people come in and get fitted for a suit. Because yeah. as a female um, or as a, a trans person or someone um, that is female that wants to wear more masculine clothing, th- there's a lot of places in our you know community that it doesn't really accommodate for that. Sure. Um, and the one thing that people really are, they want to be able to relate to you. You know, like if you're a client or if they hire you, there's a recommendation. There's got to be some way to relate to you. And if they don't relate to you in a shape of body or if in a mindset of like, no, this is how I want to present myself in the suit. Like, I don't want to look like a man. I want to look like a female, but I want something in between. And that's where the androgynous world comes into. And that's where their things become a little bit more fluid. Um, and now it's more tailored to the individual. It's not, here's a men's suit, here's a female suit. No, this is a suit for Marcia. Right. This is a suit for Randy. And that's where this huge activism kind of came into mind. I started becoming a part of the Sharp brand. I worked with the brand, span it in Florida, and then I started expanding other locations across the country, training, finding design candidates, people that could be very vulnerable and can help others, um, and had a sense of style had some engineering in the background because it is a lot of some math, you know, geometry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and then that kind of molded into being a part of the Sharp brand and having a much bigger reach because the goal of the Alvarado experience was to reach out, to have a platform to connect with more people. And I was using social media and the internet to connect with more people to share more stories. When I got a, affiliated with Sharp, which was three weeks after I launched my blog, I decided to go in with Sharp and to work with them. and the Alvarado experience kind of took a back seat because now I became a part of a brand that had, you know, I had maybe 2000 followers or 1500 followers at the time to running a brand that has over 23,000 followers already. So I had a much bigger platform. And in my mind, I was like, the goal is the reach to connect with people. So I went ahead and gravitated to the brand and uh, I've been working with them for the past three years. And the Alvarado experience is still around. It's, it's, it's relatable. It's, it's molding. Um, into this diversity and inclusion consulting space. Um, I recognize now being a professional that this is a very hot topic. And about a year ago, I I went back to school and I got a certificate from Cornell University for diversity and inclusion, recognizing that I have a way with talking and working with people and I can possibly use my story to help businesses and, and agencies really understand what it means and how they can mold their, the way they move around, um, their employee in their workplace, which is what led me to elevate her, honestly. Right. Right. Yeah. Well that, and that makes perfect sense because as I was thinking about, it, I'm like, okay, I see what happened, but, but you actually got into D and I before a lot of the stuff jumped off during the pandemic and you were like, okay. I was, it was definitely, I didn't jump in, but I was, I was doing a lot of research. I mean, I think in the last year and a half, I, even in Tampa, I would reach out to other DM. It, it was working it was starting to become a hot topic. A lot of big companies were aware of it, but I noticed in the AEC industry, I was like, this will be the last industry that catches up. So who in this industry is going to be able to educate people in our industry? And I was like, is it going to be a DNI person that got a psychology degree or a, a degree in women's studies that they're going to bring in? And these people are just going to respond to right away and react and be able to relate. Maybe, maybe not. 
or maybe there's an engineer who has that, you know, is adding that to their list and say, Hey, I'm an engineer. I've worked out in the field. I know what it's like, you know, as an engineering student being in working out in the field, you know, being in management, being leadership, like I know what it's like to be in this industry. Now I'm showing you a different way to be able to work and things to think about. Really it's more about creating awareness so that people can be more, you know, just take a step back and think about how they're making management decisions, how they're interviewing, how they're um, communicating with their employees. So I figured if anybody can help, maybe it's somebody that was, that came from the industry. And that's how the the Alvarado experience now as an LLC is more of a a business consulting um, business. No, I I think that's which hasn't taken off or anything yet. No, I'm still, it's fine. Like, it's, it's but it's people. part of the process, right? Like to see, you know, who's willing to have the conversations. And yeah. Elevator was a big reason. I mean, Jamie Claire brought me in as an advisor, and I was like, listen, I'm just now getting into this. She's like, yeah, but your perspective means something to this group, to this cohort. Right. And so that's why I gave the interview there. I I talked to the group. I I worked with them as a peer throughout the the few days that we had that we had met. And then the pandemic happened. Of course. So, uh, you know, that's where, um, but I think it's, it's still relevant. And I think it's going to, you know, I think women and allies will be the people that change the way industry, you know, goes forward. No, absolutely. And I was just going to ask you what your initial thoughts were of, as you got involved with Elevate Her, do you think it has had the intended effect that we would hope that it would have with those that were able to participate? What was your feedback that you got from some of your other cohorts? Um, I think that we're all wrestling with a lot of emotions when, when it comes to women in the industry. Um, and not meaning that, you know, I think that we have, we, we came together and there was a lot of time talked about the issues, but Jamie Claire really challenged us to think about the deeper underlying, like what is going to truly change our industry? Like, how are we going to really like, yes, there's an issue with, um, with equal pay. Yes. There may be an issue with, you know, um, you know, maternity leave versus paternity leave or just, just general HR related, but like, what's the deeper underlying issues and how are we going to tackle those. And I think, you know, one of the things that I have been very successful in my career is just to be human to everybody, whether they are, are accepting of it or not, but like, I'm, I'm going into, I'm going into it in a different mindset. And I think there's a lot of people that have been challenged by that. They're not able to, you know, disconnect. And so um, I think one of the biggest things is we came together, we, we recognize some issues and then we, we really tried to focus in on the deeper lying like problems and how we can s- provide solutions. And we really wanted to walk away with tangible solutions. Um, one of the, one of the greatest ideas that came out of it was this, this concept. I don't want to give it away because they're going to give a presentation, but this concept of really holding the public, um, having the public perception weigh in on the way that we do our work. Yeah. So when the public becomes involved of like, Oh, like if I'm not going to bring somebody into my home to do work on my house, if they're not reputable, if they're not, you know, have some certifications, let's say, or, you know, they are, you know, accepting, like, what if I bring a contractor in my personal home as an, as a, as a LGBT part of the LGBT community, like I may want to vet them. I may want to know like, Hey, are you LGBT friendly? Like, is this going to be an issue? Like if you're going to be in my personal space, are we going to have problems? These are things that the public thinks about. And so, and they're not going to spend their money, right. With people that they don't necessarily have a, have a sense of, okay, I'm going to, you're here to help me. You're providing a service for me and I want to make sure you do a good job for me. And I think when you hold the public, when you bring the public involved and that's where, okay, who's building our buildings, who's building our roads, who's building, you know, and, and if the public was aware of the industry and how it, how it, how these employees live and work in this, in this organization, maybe then there's a way to like hold them accountable. Yeah. And that's all I want to, but that's, that's like one of the deeper lying ideas of like, how do you change the industry? It has to come from the top down. And if it's the city of Tampa, I'm in Tampa, Florida, if they're like, Nope, we are going to allow, we are going to make sure that these companies are vetted in some diversity and inclusion initiatives, you know, next thing you know, the companies have to change, right. They just to get the contract, you know? So this idea of bringing the public in, I think, um, cause nobody really knows, nobody really cares at this point, you know, who builds the buildings, who fixes the roads, 
who, you know, um, but when it comes to their own home, it matters. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's like trying to, trying to see if you can wrestle with that. Um, so I just, I, I think it's a really good idea and I think it, it, it will take a long time, but um, I think that we have to get everybody on the same page of being aware that there's a problem. And I think yeah. that's, that's where the elevate her was really, really astonished and why we started because there's a lot of part of the industry that don't feel there's an issue and uh, that's challenging. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree 100%. And I'm glad you're mentioning that because, uh, of course, Elevate Her is doing something during the Elevate Conference. And Mm -hmm. at the time that we're recording this, which is before the conference, and this will actually come out before the conference, the whole thing starts. I think people that hear this um, should avail themselves of participating in that program and listening to some of the findings that you guys came up with, but yeah, now it's open. We've opened it. They've opened it completely up to the public. So it's not like you have to be at the, we're not having a physical conference. So now it's virtual and they're literally opening up the entire elevate her, um, you know, um, presentations and, and kind of synopsis of what's come out of the last six to eight months worth of work. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be really good. It's going to be really good. So um, I appreciate you sharing that and and not giving everything away because I think people that (laughs) need to tune in and check that out and you can find out more information at zygroup.com. I want to end this on the last thing that you mentioned Um, and you've mentioned it in several places, but um, what are, what are your, what is being a dreamer in terms of uh, where, where do you, where do you see yourself going next? I mean, you've got a, you've got a modeling career, you, you're getting into consulting, you're a, 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 a structural engineer par excellence. What, 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 what are you dreaming about next? Isn't that enough, Randy? <laughs> well, no. no, you said it. So I mean, I, I want to. <laughs> well, I think um, I don't know. I I yeah. think that I'm starting to believe that. You know, I kind of always believe that. Like we were never really meant to do one thing. Yeah. Um, I think we. I think we as humans have to be a little bit more accepting, realizing that there can be many things, and your life can change. Um, I think the pandemic is probably going to be one of the best things that happened to a lot of, you know, um, our world because people are really take, physically taking the time to say, you know, no, I need to, you know, slow down and think about what's important right now. Like, what do I really want to be spending my energy on? Um, so, you know, I just think that I've already been doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I spent the last two years before the pandemic realizing, and I, and I took a leap of faith thinking, okay, Kate went to the Elevate Her conference, took some PTO, flew to Dallas, Next thing I was like, I got all the affirmation that I needed. And I was like, wow, like, okay, I need to do this. And I need to find a way to connect with this industry in, in this way. Yeah. So I think the future for me, I mean, and this was what's scary because when I built the Alvarado experience and I was spending these eight months building this blog, there was always something inside of me that said, this will be the legacy. Mm-hmm. And it's really weird when you're creating something, knowing that it's the legacy, right? Yeah. It may not happen for a lot of people. It may come years later, but it was something inside of me that I was like, wow, like, I don't, I was like, the logo can't be too specific. It can't be like, it's got to be able to mold into different things. And uh, it's just funny now because now it literally is coming to fruition, you know, where it's not going to be a fashion blog. It's being literally, as we speak, repurposed as more of a consulting professional business, whether it's networking, marketing, um, and speaking to tapping into diversity and inclusion and, and, and how, you know, training young people and just kind of like this idea of everything I've been able to kind of piece together. Um, and now it's growing into something like that. And I think that I want to continue to be a leader in the industry, um, whether it will be in structural engineering or as a, as a speaker, as an advocate for the industry, as um, somebody who can, can help share a little bit of knowledge. Like I'm willing I'm a little, I'm so much more willing now to be more freedom to where I go versus when I was younger, it was like, here's the goal. Like, this is what you're supposed to do. And when you go into modeling, it's like a free for all. Like I, I, I think about it. A good metaphor is like backstage of New York fashion week. Like there's no, there's, it's just chaos. Right. And as an engineer and as a Virgo, I'm like, what is going on? Why isn't there a list? Why do we not know who's going? Why are we not know who's walking next? Like what's going like that just threw me for a loop. And I had to learn how to navigate in a space of chaos. And now I'm like, okay, now I'm so much more freedom now to be like, all right, I don't need to have a goal. I just need to start, you know, putting my plate, my, my, 
you know, my Alvarado experience in places where I think is going to be beneficial to the world and just leave it at that, not have this like, oh, I need to be, you know, at this conference or I need to be doing this or I need to make this amount of money. Like that's not the goal. So it's just more about being more freedom to be able to, to move about whatever's going on and help as many people as possible. Wow. So. I mean, I, I love that. I, I'm certainly going to be grabbing some popcorn to watch this next phase for you because <laughs> it sounds exciting. And I, you know, I don't want to, I don't know who's going to play me, but uh, <laughs> the movie. I, but, but, but no, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's interesting because I'm, I'm working on a lot of um, issues around this, but you know, I'm telling people all the time, especially younger people that listen, a lot of times you want to make your mark. People want to obviously make their mark as young as they can, but for a lot of people to realize that some of the best things that they're going to do in life won't happen until that second half. I think it's it's really important. And um, for what to, just to hear what you're saying, and as you're hitting your stride right now, it's going to be exciting to see what that second half looks like. And I think it's, it's going to be a game changer um, uh, on a, on a lot of levels, but I think more importantly for how it will help to serve the design industry, because the design design industry needs more Marcia Alvarado's um, to really um, help them get to the place that they should be uh, as mm-hmm. an industry as a whole. In terms That's of- why I dedicated a lot of time to the, to our high school kids, you know, yeah. and, and I give them me as a, you know, as the president of the Tampa Bay chapter, I saw as soon as I became the president of the organization, I could see in these children's eyes the idea that like, wow, Marcia is here representing this entire organization, has a group of colleagues that respect her, that are giving the respect that she deserves for what she's doing. And she's, she's not the norm, you know, she's not the, you know, 50 year old Caucasian white male, like, you know, that you would expect as an, as a high level architect or as somebody. So you would be surprised just being in the role and doing the role, not trying to do anything else plays a factor. And I've had a lot, I've had students transition through ACE. I've had students um, come out um, throughout the organization, but they're in a group setting with other children and they're able to be comfortable to do that in an engineering construction design little class. This is not just like, you know, this is not drama class, right? Right, right, (laughs) Like, you know, where there's a little more freedom and, and you can kind of feel like you can tap into your own self. Like this is an environment that doesn't necessarily have that. And now I'm seeing it. So I'm very optimistic for the future. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think the one thing that uh, I'll close with is, you know, I never, I don't believe that it's, it's not really a matter of what you do. It's how you make people feel, yeah. period. So you can list the accomplishments if you want. But when I leave an, an event, a networking event, if I just have coffee with somebody, like the goal is just to, they will never forget, right? Um, the experience that they had with me. like. And, and I try to just, that's what keeps me focused and that's what keeps me um, driving forward. But, you know, it's not about what you do. It's how you make people feel. Yeah. No, you're preaching to the choir, sister. I appreciate that. That's, that's a good quote. To I never thought myself as a preacher, but apparently. Oh, but you, yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, it, 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 it is, it is, that's what it is though. It's all about that. They'll, the people, and I've said that for years that if people will never, um, you know, care what you, you know, what you say to them. It's, it's all, it's, it's more importantly how you make them feel at the end of the day. And I think that's, Mm -hmm. that's important. And and I can think back to all the people that I'm connected with that have, you know, have made me feel special or spoken into my life and said, really, you know, even just one crucial thing that was, was a game changer for me. I I just, and the way it it created a certain feeling in me, I think it's really important. So I, I think we can definitely end on that. And I think that's a good place to put this as a comma because we want, I definitely want to continue this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would, I would like to ask if, if anybody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Um, well, um, my Instagram and social media handles is, is all the same Facebook, um, and Instagram is probably the top two. And that's at the Alvarado EXP. Um, and then if, uh, social Instagram is probably the best resource. Um, if someone wants to email me, they can email me at Marcia at the Alvarado experience.com. Perfect. And I'll put, um, I'll also put your LinkedIn profile. Um, yes. 
on uh, on our show notes so that people have that and they can connect with you. I would encourage you, please connect with uh, Marcia. She is she is worthy to have in your contacts on LinkedIn. And, and uh, hopefully if you guys get to talk, maybe you'll get her cell phone number too. So there, there's that. But, um, but no, Marcia Alvarado, thank you so much for coming on the Zweig Letter podcast. We really, really appreciate you. Thank you so much, Randy. It was, it was a pleasure. Good, good. All right. Well, thank you, folks. There you have it. Another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, I mean, Marcia was amazing. We talked about so much. And uh, this, these are the kind of conversations that I wanted to have when I re, reignited this podcast. So I appreciate Marcia being part of that conversation and the tapestry that is this podcast as we continue to elevate the design industry one episode at a time. I really want to encourage you to check out ZweigGroup.com for more information about all the things that Zwei Group is doing. Um, please follow and check out Chad Kleinens, the CEO, Jamie Claire Kaiser, uh, one of the principals in the firm, and, and, and all the other amazing people that make this organization so special. I've been involved with them for more than two decades, and I got to say that these folks are the real deal. So without further ado, that's all I have to really share with you today. This is another episode of the podcast. As always, you can get our podcast wherever great podcasts can be found. And if you're so inclined, we'd love it for you to share a review. Let us know what you like about the podcast. Let us know what you want to change. We'll work on it. We, we continue to, to put out, try to put out the best product possible. Um, and that's why, to me, the Zweig Letter podcast is probably the premier podcast for the design professional. So that's all I have for you this week. I will see you real soon. And maybe I'll see you online during the Elevate conference if you uh, are getting or listening to this prior to the conference uh, taking place. But just visit zweiggroup.com for more information about the conference, how you can participate in some of the free programs, as well as how you can participate in the premium programs. And I'm actually doing a talk in both the free side and on the premium side. So you want to be there and check it out. There's going to be some amazing people that are going to be volunteering their time and and giving of their time for this program. So I really want to encourage you to do that. That's all I have for you this week. I will see you soon. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Zweig Letter Podcast. We hope that you can be part of elevating the industry and that you can apply our advice and information to your daily professional life. For a free digital subscription to the Zweig Letter, please visit thezweigletter.com slash subscribe to gain more wisdom and inspiration in addition to information about leadership, finance, HR, and marketing your firm. Subscribe today.